original talk radio station anywhere. We are L.A. Talk Radio at latalkradio.com. You're listening to Question Reality. Question Reality. With Priscilla Leona. Priscilla Leona. Only on L.A. Talk Radio. Welcome to Question Reality. I'm your host, Priscilla Leona, and we are coming to you live from Studio City, California. Our show is broadcast every Sunday from 5 p.m. to 5.50 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If this is your first time tuning in, our show will help you question your career reality. This show is for you if you were, are, or might be considering a career in the entertainment industry. Our guests will provide advice, resource information on how and what it takes to successfully pursue a career in show business. Our guests work in various professions of entertainment, so that means we will definitely have someone on the show sooner or later from a career that you are interested. If you want to check out our past guests, read their bios, listen to their interview instantly, or download one of our shows, go to the LA Talk Radio website, which is latalkradio.com. You click on the link at the top of the website that says Channel 1. Scroll down, look for the graphic graphic of our show, which is Question Reality, and you click the link. That'll take you directly to our archive page where you can view the list of our past guests. Our shows are also available for download on iTunes under the podcast section. You just type in Question Reality Radio in the search box and there you are. And if you want to find out about future guests, you can visit our official Question Reality website, which is questionreality.us, questionreality.us, not .com. And that'll give you a list of all of the guests that we've had on for the whole year and also the guests that will be coming on for the next six months usually. And we have a fantastic guest every week, and today is no exception. His name is Mr. Gary Delfino, and I tell you, this is a very interesting story. I received an email from, it was either Mr. Delfino or someone that was recommending him, and I think it was him, as a matter of fact. And when I read this story, he was asking to come on the show because he said that he had a very interesting story to share. And uh, when I read this story, I had tears rolling out of my eyes. It was so funny. I was, I just, I could barely breathe. I was on the floor. It was so hysterical. And I said, there is no way this is just, this just didn't happen. It sounded like something off of a sitcom, one of these wacky, zany uh, shows. He refers to it as an experience sort of like off of Gilligan's Island. Um, I, I, I I can't even sum it up. You're going to have to read this story for yourself. I'm hoping to get Mr. Delfino to uh, tell us a little bit about it as a teaser, but you really have to read the story yourself to get the full effect. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about Mr. Delfino. Uh, he was a deputy sheriff in Sonoma County for 27 years. He's written and published several online stories, and he's the author of the book Conscience of a Dead Killer. Now, don't 
don't we love that title? That is a title for you. Uh, he's the co-author of the screenplay by the same name with Robert Baird. And Mr. Delfino has also worked as a scene consultant, an actor, and a stunt driver. So he's got a background. We're going to find out about that exciting world, too. Now, on the show today... You are going to learn about one type of Hollywood agent, the corrupt and con artist kind. That is what we're going to be talking about today. Um, this type of agent, you know, most agents are totally cool. And with the rules and regulations that SAG and, and AFTRA have put into effect, you know, most agents are legitimate agents. But we do still have that problem that uh, you run across the con artists, the scammers, especially when you come to Hollywood and you're new, you might be sold on the flash and glam that some agents do provide. So this type of agent gives all of the legitimate agents a bad name. Now, Gary Delfino will be telling the true and hilarious story, hopefully today, about his experience with one of these insane Hollywood agents. And he likes to call him Mr. Wonderful. And we'll call him Mr. Wonderful, too, to be safe and not sued. We don't mention his name. Um, and you're just not going to believe what you hear. But according to Mr. Delfino, every word of this story is true. And again, it's so funny. You really have to read the whole entire thing. I don't think we have time to do it on our show today, but you will be in stitches. It's like, it, it, I, I, it's just too much. So every, basically every time this agent, Mr. Wonderful is about to make a, a deal for Gary Delfino uh, with who he says is his contact, Jay Leno and Rob Reiner and others, just he, a ball of string rolls by, which was a perfect phrase Mr. Delfino came up with and a ball of string rolls by and this agent is distracted and uh, that's probably because he's so high and craving Pink's hot dogs, which is what Mr. Delfino said that the man wanted constantly. Uh, no plug for Pink's hot dogs, but uh, he said that he loved Pink's hot dogs. Hey, I love Snickers. It's possible. And you, you definitely want to listen to this show today because this is a water cooler topic for tomorrow. So without further ado, let's introduce Mr. Delfino, are you there, Gary? I am here, Priscilla. Thank you so much for that outstanding introduction. Well, it was a wonderful, wonderful story, one that you come across little stories in your life that are funny and you remember them. But this one, I just got to tell you, I'll never forget this. And I was hoping that you could read that story for us or maybe take parts of it uh, a little later on in the show, maybe towards the end of the show. But first, what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about you. Um, now, what, I start this question off with every show. When little Gary Delfino was maybe five, six, seven, eight, nine, or ten, what did he want to be? What did he want to grow up to be in his life? You know what, Priscilla? I, I don't know. A fire truck. I, I don't know. Actually, but when I was a little older, I wanted to be a writer when I was in my early teens. And the last thing I wanted to be was a policeman. Oh. <laughs> Well, how did that happen? How did you how did you know uh, in your teens that you wanted to be a writer but end up becoming a deputy sheriff for Sonoma County? Well, I, when I graduated from high school, I graduated with gratuitous Ds. So, so the point, I couldn't be a writer, but I could be a policeman. 
Um, I put myself to a police academy and because I needed a job, became a policeman, and it was a rewarding career. And at the twilight of my career, um, I started writing books, and I wrote a few novels, and all of my writings are science fiction. I, I enjoy writing science fiction, but this particular story, it was so surreal. Something inside me thought, you have to write this story just so you can remember it, because while it was happening, I couldn't believe it was happening with this, with this screwball agent. Yeah, well, we're going to get to the agent, but I want to find out, I want to do a build up here. I want to find out what motivated you, because this show is about uh, many types of people. One of the people that we're, we're, we talk about is the person who starts their career, who may start their career doing one thing, but because they have the passion and desire to get into the entertainment business, that feeling just keeps popping up throughout their life. So like you, they decide to change their career either midlife or at a point in time when, when they can retire and they take up a whole new career. So that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about uh, how you went from being a sheriff to deciding to become a writer and an author. So when you were a sheriff, was it a feeling that constantly occurred while you were on duty, before, you know, in the morning, while you were working? Is it something that you just couldn't shake? Did you find yourself doodling? Take us through your mentality. What was going on that this passion and desire just kept popping up? As a sheriff, when you're when you're working in, in law enforcement situations, and 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 there's a lot of a lot of times you get thrust into into violent or deadly situations, and and it's 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 for real. It's not like on television. But then when you have an opportunity to pretend to be a police officer, but you are a police officer, and, and get exposed to um, to the movie industry, it, it, it actually was kind of a it was kind of an eye-opener for me. I thought, well, I, I would really enjoy this. And I'm referring to um, Jean-Claude Van Damme's Columbia Pictures movie, Nowhere to Run. I was lucky, and I, I had an opportunity to act as a deputy sheriff in that movie and be one of the stunt drivers and be um, a scene consultant for um, Robert Harmon, who was a producer of the movie. And it was just a great experience. And, and although that was a long time ago, it, it, it's actually what, what, what gave me the spark to, to, to pursue that type of career. And so that's when I sat down and I started writing my books. And as a, my first book is Time Warp. It didn't really go anywhere. My second book, Conscious of a Dead Killer, it, it really is a great story. Although the title suggests more of a death and carnage, it really isn't any. It has an uplifting plot with a happy, happy, sad ending. I like happy endings. But that's what sparked my career, Priscilla, um, was being in that, in that movie and exposed to that, that industry. So what was it that you felt was, did you get, you know, a little tingle? Did you say, wow. So was it that you never really wanted to, to really get involved with the entertainment industry before? And when this was thrust upon you, that's what sparked it. Or did you always have a curiosity, but you just never pursued it? Exactly. I always had a curiosity for it, but then I had this opportunity to be involved in it. And, and also, I think I'm blessed with, with unique ideas. All, all of my stories are, are unique, kind of like a Steven Spielberg type of slant. Stories like Jurassic Park that no one's ever done before. That My conscience of a dead killer is a story that's never done, been done before. It's a story about um, a serial killer who is captured in the first chapter, gets the electric chair, and his ghost has to go back in time and witness the lives of his victims. 
And most murder mysteries, they spend the whole story trying to catch the bad guy. My story, he gets caught right away. And he's the one that suffers through the story. So it, that story, and I have several others. I, and I really enjoyed writing them. And I thought this, this would be my foot into the door, so to speak, of the movie industry because I have some great stories. And, and when I'm writing them, I don't know what's going to happen from chapter to chapter. But for me, and for me, it's like watching a movie unfold. I really enjoy it. Now, when you when you decided to become a writer, obviously there are things that you have to learn to to know how to write. It's just like you have to have the basics. You can't just get a piece of pen and paper out and write it down and then it becomes a novel. Where did you learn? Did you take classes on how to do the setup and how how to do the storyline, the synopsis? Where where did you get your education as to how to write a book? Well, you, you know, Priscilla, this is why I think I'm really going to be good at this, and I am. I, I consider myself good at this. I my education um, regarding how I became a writer is 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 self edu- self educated. When I, when, I first, when I wrote my first book, Time Warp, um, and my first agent, not the Mr. Wonderful agent, he had me change it to that title, um, I, I, I looked for books on formatting. That's all I wanted. What is a format for a book? How do you write a book? Is it double space, triple space? And I discovered when I went to the bookstore, there's, you can find tons of books on how to write well, how to write a good book, how to write a good book to publish, but there are very few books on Structure. How do you structure it? Because so many people in the writing industry, the wannabe writers, everybody says, I'm going to write a book, I want to write a book. And they, they say that and a year will go by and they haven't written it yet. Or another year will go by and haven't written it yet. Very few people actually sit down and write it. And if they do, they don't pursue it. When I, when I write, and I'm, I'm sure I'm speaking for many writers out there, I just can't wait to delve back onto my computer and see what's going to happen next. And I know that the next chapter is going to be better than this chapter. I don't have a clue what's going to happen at the end of the story until the end of the story. So I, I enjoy it. And when I, trans, when I transferred Consciousness of a Dead Killer into a screenplay, I was self-taught with my screenplay also. I just downloaded a few screenplays so I could see the format, and then just went page by page, and I had so much fun with it. And I think that's the key, too. You just got to have fun with it. And if you're not having fun, maybe you should do something else. But I, I know I really enjoy it. So, so, so you're the type of writer that you just start writing and you have the ability to take it from beginning, middle to end and it all be you know, terse and concise automatically. You don't have to go back and say, oh, you know what, chapter one doesn't really gel with chapter three. You know, some writers, I mean, it takes them years to write a good novel or the great novel. Uh, how is it? that you're able to do it immediately right away? I have no clue. I'm not that smart. I don't know. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, so, so, and it, it, I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. Um, and I have these epiphanies that pop in my head, and I think this is a great line. This, this character is going to say this line, or that character is going to say that line, and it's going to correspond with this, and it'll all come together in the end. And about maybe three-quarters of the way through, I start to get an idea how the story's going to end and actually have kind of a formulation. But I don't really know what's going to happen. I know that I'm going to have those epiphanies, and I can't wait to, I can't wait to get the epiphany. But I, so, I, yeah, I, I guess I'm one of those writers that just, just pops in his head. 
Now, what would you say, uh, have you, because of your desire to uh, become a writer, uh, do you take stories from when you were a deputy sheriff? I mean, do you ever, do, or any of those characters that you came into contact with, do you kind of consciously or subconsciously put them in your book or are all these characters that you create new ones that just pop into your mind? I mean, where do the characters come from? Where do the stories come from? You know, some of the characters, um, I have, I have no idea. They just, yeah, they pop in my mind and I see them as, as, as actors, so to speak, um, in my, when I wanted my screenplay or my book, um, I was envisioning actually, Maybe Sean Connery as Ben Hitchcock, the retired FBI agent, and I was envisioning Nicolas Cage as as Billy Boyle, the ghost, and, and that's because I, maybe because I watched the, the that the movie they were in The Rock, and I thought they worked well together, so I could see those two characters, or I could also see other characters like Danny Glover, he would be a great um, FBI agent, or Morgan Freeman, and I just I see these characters as, as I'm writing, um, but as far as is my my law enforcement background, yeah, I, there's a there's always been a strong law enforcement slant in all my stories from my experience because I guess you write what you know. And my, my uh, third book, Reflections of Justice, is a scene in the beginning where this, this bike store is getting robbed, and as the bad guy is racing out of the store on the bike, the bike is stuck in first gear and he can't get away. And, and I had an incident where we had a stakeout, and I, and I had the bike stuck in as a decoy bike, and we put that bike in that high gear. So when the bad guy tried to race off on the bike, he couldn't go more than three miles an hour. So, yeah, I guess you could say I do put some of my law enforcement background into my stories. Now, you worked uh, 27 years in law enforcement, and you say that during your career you worked patrol and swift water rescues along the Russian River. What does that mean? Well, in 1995, the Gurndalari, the Russian River, uh, went into a flood stage where uh, a large majority of the population, the homes were underwater. And the, the governor declared it as a state of emergency. We had um, our, our sheriff at the time had, had trained us in anticipation of such a catastrophe. So we had the ability to, to get into specialized boats, wear specialized equipment, and do the rescues in swift water. And it was extremely dangerous. I, I recall um, Sacramento County Sheriff's Office said, flew in with a Chinook, a specialized team that's used to flying, used to, used to taking their boats on the Sacramento River. And they got out of their, they got out of the, the Chinook helicopter all dressed with nines and state-of-the-art equipment, and, and they pulled their boats out, and the lead guy put, put his boat in the water. They made a five-minute shot up, came back and said, I am not going in that, there again. And I can genuinely understand why. You'd see a tree go underneath the water 100 yards up, and you got to get to shore as quick as you can because that tree's going to come out like a, like a sea serpent. So it was, it was an interesting experience, to say the least. Well, was, I, I, I was thinking the Russian River. You were actually in Russia. Where I don't even know where the Russian River is. Where's the Russian River? What's the Russian River in Sacramento? Oh, no, no. It's a, it's, it's a Russian River that goes through uh, Mendocino County, through Sonoma County and in, into the Pacific Ocean. It's an anti-navigable waterway. Oh, I did not know that. See, you learn something new every day. So you also publish about combat tactics, correct? Oh, I did. I did. Um, in, in 1998, 
um, most of the law enforcement officers in, in California were carrying revolvers. So with this transition, I just started to, to change over to, um, to automatics. And I, and I developed a, a combat reloading technique that was published in a, in a nationally acclaimed magazine called Police Security News. And I actually coined it as the Delfino Reload Technique, and it, it streamlined the process of reloading a, a revolver with your left hand as opposed to switching a gun back and forth. Um, I, that was the only magazine I published in. I didn't want to publish it in a, gun, in a guns and ammo magazines and teach other people how to combat reload. And it, I just recently, matter of fact, I contacted Police Security News, and they, they were interested in publishing it. Nobody carries revolvers anymore. The revolvers are a dinosaur thing of the past. They're, they're a dependable gun, but they're just not carried anymore. And, but that, that particular technique was, was actually trained, was used as a training tool in our police academy and, and so forth. Wow, yeah, everybody calls carry semi-automatics, my God, these days. <laughs> I think even the, even the cops carry them now. Now, you also published a, 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 maybe an online story called Through the Eyes of an Extra. Yes, that was my adventures. It's nowhere to run with Jean-Claude Van Damme and with Dan Arquette and Josh Auckland. That was a lot of fun. And so I, what I, did you, was, what did you, what did you, pretty much what did you get from your days of, or through your eyes of being an extra? What did you observe? What was the experience like? Well, you know, so it was interesting because I was back watching it. It wasn't my career, but it, it was unique because it was Columbia Pictures is filming a scene in a rural area where I work as a deputy sheriff. As a matter of fact, I ended up taking a theft report on the movie set when something was stolen out there. And they dressed me up as a deputy sheriff, so I'm playing an actor deputy sheriff, but I'm really a deputy sheriff. And there was about 20 of us out there all dressed as deputy sheriffs, but only two of us were real sheriffs, and uh, we were the ones that drove the patrol cars that, that came around the corners. And it was an interesting experience because I could see the pecking order. Jean-Claude Van Damme had a double-wide uh, double trailer with two slide-outs, um, Rosanna Arquette had a, had a double white trailer, one slide out. Josh Auckland just had a regular trailer. And it went down so forth until you got to the extra, which was us, and, and we got dressed in, in the tent. He needs a double wide trailer because he would do those uh, leg extensions. You know how he'd get on those two chairs and he, and he would stretch and jump up and down with those, his legs extended on the two chairs? Did you ever see him do that in his movies? I'd be, I'd be in the hospital traction for a month. Oh, my God. I've never seen anybody be able to do that since. My Lord. Now, let me ask you something. Um, what do you feel are so, – because you're so excited. Obviously, we can hear in your voice the passion that you have for writing. You seem so titillated by it, so thrilled. What do you feel are some characteristic traits that a person should have in order to – know that that career is is the right path for them i mean what if somebody's thinking well you know i want to be a writer sometimes i get really excited and i write but then sometimes i don't really feel like writing and there's long periods of time when i don't write what do you feel the characteristic traits are of a person who uh who wants to pursue a career as a writer what do they need to have well first off um priscilla they need to and this, I've, I've talked to so many different writers, and they tell me, well, I got my first draft, I got my second draft, and I just got to put it together. And I tell these writers, what, what, do you, what do you think about drafts? 
these people that sit down with notepads and they write ideas or they'll, they'll, they'll write, start writing their story. No, 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 no. You sit down with a computer and you write chapter one and you start writing chapter one and you write the right format. And then you go to chapter two and it's like making a bank account. If you write one page a day for 365 days, you're going to have a book for 365 pages. Your book is done and you just proof each page each day. But if you're, if you're really devoted and you really enjoy it, you're going to write one on one page because you're going to get into it. You're going to get excited about it, and you're going to get like me. You can't wait to see what's going to happen next, or you can't wait to, you can't wait to continue on with what you're doing, and, and your wife's going to get mad at you and say, come to bed, and you're going to say, no, I'm busy, right? i got to finish this. i got to see what's going to happen. <laughs> All right. So you've got to obviously have excitement for writing. It has to be a natural excitement, right? Absolutely. And what else do you feel that, that, that a screenwriter or a novelist should have? They've obviously got to have excitement to write and want to write every day. What else? Well, you know what, Priscilla? Once you get the book out, then you have to have this, and this is the hard part, then you have to get the agent, um, and then you, have to, then, you have, then you do the book signings, which are fun. I, I enjoy the book signings. But then you have to push your book and promote it or push your screenplay and promote it. And after my adventure with Mr. Wonderful, I got to be honest with you, it just took the wind out of my sails, and I, I shelved that screenplay. I said, I'm not touching this thing. And it was on the shelf for a few years before yeah. I met, met my co-author and, 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 I, and a spark of interest to, to rewrite it. Well, let's take it back. Okay, so you wrote this story, or uh, was it a screenplay? You wrote this story? This, was it a novel or a screenplay? Which I wrote the book first. Okay, and you it, wrote the book. Mm-hmm. And it was published as an audio book. Out okay. Of Santa Monica, Rainbow Recording. Was That's that Conscience? That was Con, are we talking about Conscience of a Dead Killer? Yes. Okay, so you wrote the book, and then obviously your next, your next task is to get an agent, which prompted you to look for an agent. Now, how is it that you came upon Mr. Wonderful? We're talking about the agent. The agent is Mr. Wonderful. Okay. How was it that you ran into him? Did someone refer you to him? How did you find him? He, he was a radio host, a producer for a local radio show where, where oh, I live. Great. Great. I Thank you. <laughs> so radio host. Oh, I mean, Absolutely not compared to you, the Priscilla. Thank <laughs> you. Night and day. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, that's the first clue when you're a radio host slash agent slash house painter slash uh, doctor slash, you know, you have too many occupations. There's a clue right there. But OK, so he was a radio host. You listened to his show in your town. No, actually, I was working as a as a bailiff on overtime and the judge had went on his show and won a prize and he showed up in court. And he looked a little hinky, so I asked the judge, who is this, who is this weirdo? I see me waving at him. And then she introduced him, and then she introduced him to me and told him that I had written a book, and, and that's where I met him. And then he invited me over to his house, and that's, that, that's basically the, the, the beginning of our, of our relationship. All right, so now we're going to <laughs> – this story is too much. I, I don't know if you want to read it from your <laughs> – excuse me, from your uh, online story, if you want to read it verbatim or if you want to sum it up. But why don't you tell us about the adventure? I don't want you to leave anything out. So what do you feel would be better? Do you feel it would be better if you read that from oh, the you know, online I, could be honest, I don't have it in front of me, but I lived it. 
I okay, you really lived it. Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, let's t- let's talk about this. So now we're going to hear the uh, story of uh, Gary Delfino and Mr. Wonderful. Now I know that this happened in two thousand August of two thousand one, and we're going to be calling this agent Mr. Wonderful. And again, Gary said he was a radio station producer and. We are going to take it from there. So you meet this guy, your immediate instinct. Now, let's go back to that before we start the story, people. You heard what Gary said. His first instinct was that this guy was kind of shady, kind of hinky. You got to let that intuition, no matter who you are, you have intuition. So that was his first clue. And he decided to ignore that. Did you not, Mr. Gary Delfino? You, your instincts told you that that guy was a shady guy, but we chose to pursue it. So let's go forward. So you meet him. What happens? Well, my wife is the one that named him Mr. Wonderful. And she, yeah, she <laughs> figured him out quicker than me. And there's nothing worse than not listening to your wife and have her be right. That's right. That's right. But see, the woman always has the better instinct, but the man always has the stars in his eyes, right? You wanted to move forth. He was an agent, and that might have been the first agent that you had ever come in contact with, right? Okay. There you go. So you don't be thrilled and overjoyed by meeting the first agent and be too excited about getting your project out there. So go ahead now, Gary. Tell the story. Well, the clue is if you go to your agent's house, he invites you over, and he lives in a one-bedroom apartment with his wife and 18 cats, and he's got a little old lady landlord with no pet claws. That should be, like, clue number one. (laughs) (laughs) He gets to his house. I gotta, I gotta uh, just change the subject briefly too. Well, what I, I was so funny you was that? What was so funny? I had so much fun with the screenplay. Gary, what was so much fun was that you were telling, it was like there was clue after clue after clue, and I bet your wife was going crazy. Like, you know, that's a patient woman because I probably would have gotten one of your pistols. I would have <laughs> I would have come after him. But my God, your wife must have been so patient because you go over to his house, you're telling the story, you see this man with 18 cats running around, probably feral cats mind you. God knows the house must have been reeking of urine. And okay, so you don't run back out the door and catch the next bus out of town. You keep going. God bless you, Gary Delfino. You have hope. You are definitely a person. <laughs> there. You've got hope, if anything. So, go <laughs> so you so go he, and see the cats. He, well, he the, the house was, was immaculate. He had half a dozen cat litter boxes, and, and when you go over to his house, he'd be busy backing up cat hair because he was allergic to cats. And the only thing that would deter him from that would be like if a cable truck came by or a PG&E truck, and he'd find glue to the window because he worried about he was going to have something disconnected for lack of payment. But and, and I, you mentioned I'm worried about being sued. I'm not really worried about being sued because it's a true story. What, what I don't want to do is I don't want to give this guy any notoriety. Because right. if you read the story, you'll think, this guy was incredible. I don't I don't think anybody would like want to be near him or hang out with him. It's just too scary. But wait a minute, did you say he had cats, but he was allergic to cats? Yeah, he had, he had 18 cats, allergic to cats. That's so he had, he's constantly what, the he, what the hell did he have 18 cats for 
Murphy was allergic to them. What was he doing with them? Somehow got 18 cats. I, I didn't even well, ask him. Did I? Okay. He offered to give me one. I, I, have, I have cats of my own. I didn't need eight, any more cats. Oh, but my. he had a connection with Rob Reiner. And he had a, in his garage, his garage was made up like a scene from The Tonight Show. You roll the door up, and he's got his desk, and all the television set, a bunch of pictures of actors and actresses on the wall, a couch. He even had a friend who's a big, great big man, kind of like Ed McMahon, and would just say nothing. He'd come over and sit on the couch. And this guy was, was Mr. Wonderful's driver. He would drive, drive around because Mr. Wonderful didn't have a license. His license was suspended. <laughs> and so we, we go over to his house, and so these conference calls with Castle Rock, and it'd be the same call as every time we went over. It was, it was, hello, this is Mr. Wonderful. Can you put me through to Rob Reiner or Alan Greisman? Uh, please hold. Are they in a meeting? Can they call you back? And then we'd sit around and drink beer for about an hour or two, and they wouldn't call back. And the next day we'd do the same thing. And I did this about three, three or four times, three or four of these um, we'll call you right back conference calls, and that was it. I, I'm done here. So then he, then he has a conference call with the head of Paramount, Sherry Lansing. And somehow he had a connection with her. And Sherry Lansing, and he, everybody was on speakerphone, so I'd get to hear the conversations. And so we had this conversation with Sherry Lansing. She, was, she liked the project. And, and actually wanted to meet with us. So we, went, we, flew to, we flew to Hollywood to meet with Sherry Lansing, and we missed her appointment because this, this idiot took, took way too long to get ready, overslept, had to take a shower. Ultimately, we missed our flight, but he called the, the head of the, the executive department of, of Southwest Airlines and said he was one of the investors and you need to put us through the later flight. So they put us on a later flight. We missed our appointment with her. And we, so we flew all the way down there just to give her wine in her mail room. And the mail room at Paramount at Christmas time is a nightmare because that's the one time of the year, Christmas, the one time of the year when you can give celebrities gifts. And, it, and it's because it's Christmas. I guess all, and, and so there we are, two stooges with our Sonoma County wine, giving it, giving it to Sherry Lansing. And we made a couple other stops. We didn't go by Castle Rock. We had these connections and, and then we flew down a second time, and this time we flew down the night before. And this is the one where Pink's Hot Dog was involved. We, uh, we went by Castle Rock, and we went into Castle Rock with our stuff, and they called upstairs, and Alan Greisman and Rob Reiner were busy doing a project, and they told Mr. Wonderful and myself, hey, come back in an hour. We want to talk to you. Stuff looks pretty interesting. And Sherry Lansing was looking at it, so they must have communicated somehow. And unfortunately, we didn't make that appointment. We raced out to LAX Airport to look for a shooting a West Wing we couldn't find. Then we raced back in. We had plenty of time to get to Castle Rock and make it to Paramount, but he had the munchies. He absolutely had to have a hot dog at this place called Pink's. So we missed our appointment with Rob Ryan and Alan Greisman because of this hot dog at Pink's. And I've never eaten a hot dog at Pink's. I was too mad. Well, missing an appointment for a hot dog. And so he had his hot dog, and there was a couple of people with us too, and it was just a nightmare. And then... And then because the hot dogs took so long, we missed our appointment with Sherry Lansing again. We got on Paramount Lot just in time to discover that she'd left. So we, that we flew down there and for nothing at 84. I wanted to choke him to death on the way back on the flight. Fortunately, I didn't get to sit next to him. Jesus. It was, a, it was, it was pathetic. And then, and, and there's then, more to the story. And then I, he goes, and then he, what about Rob Reiner and Jay Leno? How did he, how did he? Hook, how did he, what did he do when, when you guys had appointments with Rob Reiner and Jay Leno? Well, with, with Jay Leno, the Tonight Show, 
And, and this guy is connected. He's just an idiot. He, we called, and again, I'll speak the phone. He calls Jay Leno, and he, he talks to Jay Leno, and he, he tells Jay Leno, hey, Jay, I took your advice. I'm not a lying, cheating jerk anymore. I'm not using people. I'm a better person for what you suggested I do. And, and Jay Leno talked to him, and he told Jay, I got this guy, he's a cop. And I, and I guess Jay likes police officers. And Jay thought, oh, no, that sounds great. He got a cop who wrote a novel, and he wants to make a screenplay. I'd love to have him on my show. Put, put, I'll put you through to Steve Ridgeway. He's a movie producer. He's our, he's our producer. He'll see what he can do. So they put us through to Steve Ridgeway. Steve Ridgeway tells Mr. Wonderful, okay, this is what we need. Send this, this, and this. Unfortunately, Mr. Wonderful had a problem. He, couldn't, he could never write a cover letter or send anything. I had to send everything. Matter of fact, one time, um, Brian Lord with Creative Artists, he's a Robin Williams agent. And I'm getting off track here just for a second, but it'll explain what happened with, with Tonight Show. Um, I, I contacted uh, Brian Lord, and Brian Lord, because Sherry Lansing was still interested in the project, said, yeah, go ahead and send us what you got, and I, we'll, we'll, have, we'll have him take a look at it. Just have your agent write a letter. Well, my, again, my agent couldn't write the letter, so I went upstairs in my house. And at my house, we have a swimming pool, and it was summertime, and, and it was so pathetic. I wrote this letter, and I, but I couldn't sign my agent's name to it, so I wrote this letter like I was my agent, and then I took it down to the swimming pool. He got my swimming pool on a floaty, and he was, like, put off because he had to paddle ashore to sign this letter that he supposedly wrote. <laughs> so, so he never said He didn't say anything to Steve Ridgeway. He didn't call Steve Ridgeway back. I have to hold him down. There was one time when Sherry Lansing was, her, her assistant would call us four times during the day, and then she would call us, she would call with a message, hey, Gary, call me back. Um, so Mr. Wonderful didn't call him back. He didn't call her back. So the next day, Sherry Lansing had her agent, had her, her phone receptionist call again, and at the end of the day, please call me back, Mr. Wonderful, tomorrow at 4. So I'm, I'm working a patrol shift. And at 4 o'clock, I scheduled my lunch break. And it, so there I am at Mr. Wonderful's house, taking my lunch break, waiting for the call, knowing that, okay, I'm here now. I'm going to handcuff this guy on the phone. He's not going to miss his call because he liked, he liked to do that. He liked to have missed calls and have so he can listen to the messages and make some kind of sicko. So Murphy's Law, my dispatch calls me out of my lunch break for an in-progress crime. So I've got to go around to my patrol car. And as I'm running away, I'm telling him, do not miss the call. Do not leave. And he missed the call. Oh, my God. Now, tell us about what happened with Sherry, uh, I mean, uh, with Shelly Duvall. Oh, that, first off, I, I have to print this with Shelly Duvall is a wonderful lady. She is so special. When you meet her, you can see exactly why she, she was so successful with, with the Third Tale Theater. She is such a nice lady. She came into Sonoma County, and she was uh, doing her and Ed Begley Jr. were hosting a, uh, a show, a colleague, a, um, a show in Hopland, and he, she connected with Mr. Wonderful from the radio station, and Mr. Wonderful coordinated a wine tasting day on a Saturday. We were going to take her wine uh, wine tasting, and so again, this, this was to this was to pitch the movie. He was going to pitch the movie to her with her being one of the stars, and he was trying to attach her to the movie. Absolutely, okay. and. We were there, and it really wasn't a main role for her. Um, I couldn't think of a main role, a starring role. There were some supporting character roles, but I couldn't think of a main character role. I mean, we could always rewrite it, but I asked for her itinerary. I told him, you've got to talk to her. You've got to get her. Oh, no, no, no. We'll just meet with her. It'll be fine. It's like, oh, yeah, this will make me with so no itinerary. So she comes into town, and we actually had, had dinner with her 
when she flew when she first came into town and she was lost in the hotel room so we got her to a hotel room and because we'd have our itinerary the following day we, we picked her up late so i had to one of the vip winery tours that i had set up we had to blow that off and then by the time we picked her up mr wonderful was so drunk that Every mile or two down the road, we had to stop so he'd get out of the car and run into the vineyards and, and urinate. We're, we're in Sonoma County, Lincoln. Oh, God! And he did this to... in front of Shelly Duvall. He's out urinating in the wine vineyards. Yeah, we got to stop. I got to run into the run into the vineyards. I got to go to the bathroom. Oh, so, my God. And so she, Shelly was so patient. She was such a nice lady. We had such a nice visit. And then, and then Mr., and Mr. Wonderful was just three sheets of the wind. When we got to uh, Corbell Winery, Corbell Winery did a great job for shows. We took a, a behind-the-scenes tour, and and then it was getting towards somewhat towards the end of the day. I didn't have our itinerary. I didn't know that there was a dinner kind of honor in the town of Hopkins, which was like 40 minutes from where we were. And she, what Shelly wanted to do is Shelly wanted to drive up to meet, meet up with Robin Williams because by now um, she'd read my, my story and really liked it. Thought it was a great story. Thought Robin Williams would love it. And subsequently, Robin Williams' agent had it through Brian Lord. And so what happened was I told Shelly, I said, you know what, um, how about if, 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 if I take you back to your hotel, maybe we can see Robin Williams tomorrow. I'm working patrol tomorrow. When I get off work, we can go see him. He, he lives, I know where he lives in, in our area. And Shelly was pretty tired. I think she was really tired of Mr. Wonderful. So, yeah, she had no problem with that. But we had to drop Mr. Wonderful off in his bed at his apartment. So he insisted on, on showing Shelly the his apartment. I don't know why. So I got him in, I show you the ball, comes to his apartment, he runs in his backyard, grabs his zucchini out of the garden, and then he comes running back in the house and scoops up one of his 18 cats. He's got a zucchini in one hand, a cat in the other, and he's trying to give it to show a cat and a zucchini to, for show you to take with him when she leaves. And, and show you's very gracious. No, I, I don't need any more cats, and I'm, I have to fly back to Texas. Oh, well, you have to take this cat, well, so cat and zucchini. So, she graciously bowed out, and I, got, I ushered her out of the house, and we got her out the, out, the, out the front yard, and Mr. Wonderful raced up after us with a notepad and a piece of paper trying to get Shelly to write a letter of intent to be in our movie. And so Shelly DeVoe hadn't even read the book yet, hadn't listened to it. So she was very, again, she was very polite. She told him, no, I'm, I, I, don't, I know what a letter of intent is. I, I'm not going to give you a letter of intent right now. And, and Ms. Dingling is arguing with her next to his garbage can about the letter of intent. So I got him back in the house, and we got her out of there, and I, I, I called her the following day. She told me that um, she was really looking forward to going up to see Robert Williams and taking me up there after I got booked in the sheriff's office on patrol, and, and I was looking forward to going with her, but the following day, I just I couldn't do it. I told her, I called her up and I said, no, if you take me up to see Robert Williams, it's going to take away from your visit. I left that message for her. I said, if you need a way to get up there, I can get you up there, but I don't want to go. I called Mr. Wonderful up, and I told him, Mr. Wonderful, do not go up and see Robin Williams and talk about my book. I'm not going up there. And then I later found out that, that Shelly Duvall wasn't able to be contacted, and, and Mr. Wonderful called me and said, I can't get a hold of Shelly, and, and I, I really want to go up there with her. And I think she, she blew him off. But then on Monday, I got a phone call from Brian Lord sending me back all my stuff, which would suggest that Mr. Wonderful gave her the bum's rush. Wow. So, totally blew that deal for you. Oh, my God. And the same thing happened with Rob Reiner, pretty much the same story when you guys tried to try to hook up with him, too, right? Yes. Yes. Well, he, you know what he was doing? He'd call him up, and he'd talk to Alan Greisman. Alan Greisman was Rob, was Rob Reiner's assistant. And he's a very nice man, too, very patient. Um, and 
he would lie to them and tell them that he had celebrities um, in, in the project that weren't. Like he told them he had Rob, uh, Robert Williams, had a lot of intent for Robert Williams, he's got it, he loves it. Which is a lie. He told them he had Clint Eastwood, has got it, he loves it. He, he told Sherry Lansing that I've got Clint Eastwood, he's got it, he loves it. And I did say Clint Eastwood a book. But I didn't pester him. I figured if he likes it, he'll get a hold of me. But he told Sherry Lansing, somebody could easily call Clint Eastwood, he says, I've got Clint. He's got it. He loves it. And Sherry Lansing, she sparked up. She said, oh, Clint Eastwood's a great actor. I love Clint Eastwood. And then, actually, I, I was able to get a hold of, of, of Clint Eastwood's agent, um, Leonard, um, Leonard Hirschman was his name. And, and he's a very nice man, too. And got through to him, but because he's my agent, he has the one that has to, he has, Garrett, uh, Mr. Wonderful has to be the one to speak. And so Mr. Wonderful told Leonard Hirschman the wrong plot, which really frustrated me, suggesting that he, he himself never even listened to the story. He gave Leonard the wrong plot. Leonard cut him off and said, nope, stop, I'm not interested, and hung up. And you just were completely powerless because, or you felt you were powerless because he was the agent and, you know, he was supposed to know his stuff and he, he had the connection. So you didn't feel like you had to jump in and, and say anything. I mean, was he pitching this right in front of the guy or had yeah, he? Yeah, he was real on a speakerphone. And, and, telling, and, telling. and you were listening to this while he was doing that. Oh, that must have been crazy. I, so I, you felt. They only have three minutes, so I wanna I wanna get like a I mean this story people listening this story goes on and on and on it is such a fantastic incredible story um, you really have to check it out in its entirety he's only giving you bits and pieces but you really have to read this story so we only have three minutes to go what I want to do is to just tell people. Gary, you lived the story. You, 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 you had this experience with the agent. Eventually, I'm assuming you got tired of them. You, you finally said, "I've had it." You moved on. I understand that uh, he tried to contact you again, or you, you know, whatever happened with that. Did did he try to contact you or what? The best day of my life, Priscilla, was the day that I got everything sent back to me from Paramount. Brad Kessel had it sent me back the screenplay oh. and everything with a letter that said, um, oh, we're passing on, we choose to pass on your project at this time. We're unable to contact your agent. We, we've been unable to contact your agent and we're choosing to pass on it. Isn't Suggesting that Mr. Wonderful's phone got disconnected again and they couldn't get a hold of him and they were tired of his lies. <laughs> and, they, and they're too busy to deal with stuff like that. Yeah. So I, one would think, wow, what a disappointment. I'm, 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 my, my project's rejected. No, thank God, it's over. I called him up and said, I don't ever want to see you again. You're so fired. Um, have a good life. Yes. And so you. So the there. End. So so the the point of this is to go with your first instinct. I would say, right? Absolutely. Um, and if you go to an agent's house and they have 18 cats, they're hiding from the landlord. I know that some things that we didn't talk about was you had to buy them phone cards. You had to buy them dinner. Pretty much. Everything that you read, if you read the story, uh, this is not an agent that you want to be attached to. Now, it gets kind of confusing because the guy did have a lot of contacts with top people. But you know what? Obviously, obviously, they thought he was a little crazy shady, too, as Jay Leno had 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 said to him. So you can't 
have stars in your eyes just because an agent tells you he has connections with all of these people. You really, really need to go the legitimate route. Even if it takes you a long time, you really have to find a legitimate agent, usually working at a reputable firm. So that, would you say, is uh, you are in agreement with that? So My good friend, Michael Pritchard. So we, we have to, oh my God, it's 5.50. We have to end the show. God, but listen, check out Gary Delfino, Conscience of a Killer. You can find it on Amazon.com. You can also go to his website, which is a new website, and it is BairdDelfinoProductions.com. That's B-A-I-R-D-D-E-L-F-I-N-O Productions.com. I will have that on our archive page uh, tomorrow after 5 p.m. But you want to read his story, we will have a link that goes to a uh, Pressport.us website where you can read this story in its entirety, okay? So I want to thank you so much, Gary. God, we could have gone on and on. We need to do like two, three hours to cover this story. But thank you so much for your time with us today. I really, really appreciate it, okay? Thank you so much. And we look forward to seeing your projects in the future, all right? And find a legitimate agent. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Priscilla. Okay. Thanks, everybody, for tuning tuning in. We'll see you next next week on Question Reality. Bye. Bye, Priscilla. You're listening to Question Reality. Question Reality. With Priscilla Leona. Priscilla Leona. Only on L.A. Talk Radio.